0: Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. The NBA playoffs are here, and uh, you want to get your bets out on who's going to win the NBA title this year. Now's the time to do it. I'm still rolling with the Brooklyn Nets as far as the odds go. They're still the favorite, and if they stay healthy, I can't see going wrong in that direction. Uh, The Lakers, you know, they're a little banged up. We'll see how LeBron and AD look uh, in the coming weeks, but I'm sticking with Brooklyn for now. Bet Online, the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action, is the way to go. Bet Online has you covered for all the news, scores, and odds. It's the best way to place your bets and it's free to sign up. So head to the website betonline.ag or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet Online. Your online sports book experts.
1: Hey, everybody. Uh, welcome to another very special version of Bill Roden on Sports. I'm, uh, this is Bill Roden. Very happy because it's getting to be summer. I, I love it. I'm at an undisclosed location here in upstate New York. Uh, and they're talking about co-host, the great Jamal Murphy, continuing to hold it down in uh, Brooklyn, even though, you know, they told, they, they said, Jamal, that the pandemic is over, right? One, one day, one day they're saying you can't go out the house. And then the next day they say, oh, okay, it's, it's okay, honor system. I'm like shit. You you got you got to be kidding me.
0: Yeah, it happened that I feel like it happened that quick. It was just you know it, it was one day it was on one day it was off. So uh, yeah yeah. yeah well, well, I, I want to ask yourself, guess, That's all I can say.
1: Uh, yeah, protect. What <laughs> 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 was that? The Staple Singers. They say they say respect yourself. We say protect yourself. <laughs> <laughs> Jamal, you want to introduce our very 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 special guest because I, I I I like to hear his thoughts on the pandemic on the pandemic being cleared over.
0: OK, OK. Well, no, like like you said, we have a very, very special guest, uh, a, a distinguished guest we have with us today. Scott Pioli, a current NFL Network and CBS analyst. But of course, 20 years, 26 years as an NFL GM, VP, player development uh, and scout. Uh, he's a Morehouse College fellow, three time Super Bowl champion, five time NFL executive of the year. Uh, He worked for such franchises as the Atlanta Falcons, Kansas City Chiefs, New England Patriots, New York Jets, Baltimore Ravens, and the Cleveland Browns, uh, Mm. go on and on. But thank you, Scott, for joining us. Really appreciate it.
2: Bill, Jamal, I I am so happy to be here. Honestly, I will say this, I am honored to be here. And be with you uh, on this, Bill. Now, Bill, I may shake you down here. You mentioned an undisclosed location in upstate New York. I'm a native upstate New Yorker. So when we get offline, I might have to find out where you're at. See if you're anywhere near the hometown. Uh, Yeah,
1: your hometown
2: uh, is Williams. What's the, what's, uh, what's Washingtonville, your town? New York. It's Washington, down, yeah. it's down near West Point. So,
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm actually, I, well, I, I'm around, uh, what can I tell you? <laughs> how can I? How can I? Let's see. You know. You know the uh, what's the big the shopping? Uh, oh, are you talking the, the Woodbury Commons? Yeah, beyond. I'm be, I'm a little beyond that.
2: All right. So I grew. Washingtonville is the next exit after the Woodbury Commons. Going oh, to New guess York I about,
1: Oh, okay. Because I, I I usually go up to Palisades. Okay. I go up to Palisades, and then it's, it, eventually you'll hit. Uh, Eighty-seven, two eighty-seven. Yeah, uh, yeah, up around Don't that way. Too much.
0: Don't yeah. give
1: <laughs> too yeah. <laughs> yeah, man. This is this is sort of the flag. The flags <laughs> turn from uh, from go go Biden to they still have the Trump flags out. You know, yeah. Yeah. so you know that you know kind of that kind of deter- that determine, you know d- you know in other words, reality has changed, and so, yeah. so the reality here is that. It never happened. You yeah. Know. So, so well,
2: well, Bill, get. We're not going to dive right into this. I don't think like too heavy right away. But Orange County, New York, um, yeah. is where Washingtonville is, and there's okay, a, yep, yep. a long story about Orange County, New York, um, that we'll tell on the next episode. I'm on. Um, <laughs> like I said, because I don't want to dive in too deep, but it's 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 a shameful history um, in 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 the area that I grew up. But uh mm. and, and it, it has something to do with some of those flags that you're talking about
1: too yeah Orange County is kind of rough I mean and I think the frustration too a lot of people is that New York is like it's democratic state. I mean you will never you I mean I'm not saying never but it's like trying to elect a, a Democrat when you're in like in Mississippi or something you know and so you, you go you go cash your ballot knowing that it's like you just kind of pissing in the wind you know yeah. So there's this frustration, you know. Uh, but it's it's uh, yeah. Well, we, that'll be part two. we'll we'll, we'll do two. It. But, say, but you know. Although, but, but although, though, Scott, let's tell you, it, you you come out of the NFL, and the NFL is very, you know, it's a big Republican enterprise. You know, uh, the, the the ownerships and all that. I mean, it, it, is that is that generalization? Or is that generally true?
2: Um. I, that's a great question. See, I'm really bad with politics, even though that I, I got myself into some of the, um, into voting rights this year. And, yeah. and and I'll be honest, my total ignorance about politics and political parties and, you know, I grew up, my dad was a blue collar worker, you know, out of the Bronx. And, you um, the thing was we were always quote unquote democrats and i've never understood because over time the parties have flip-flopped and gone back right. in different ways about not only beliefs but about socioeconomic beliefs about uh, you know what the the contingencies socioeconomic you know being was and um, and i've always felt this is this uh, i i've never declared either democrat nor republican I see myself as a humanitarian and a person mm. that cares, and I, because I don't understand the labels of mm. well, of you know, life.
1: they'll they'll send you to the firing squad because if you're not one or the other, they do "Well, he's of no use." You yeah. know, like I tell people, <laughs> I'm Well, hell, we can't use you, said. You know, <laughs> what is that? <laughs> well,
2: I vote for people in in those parties. You know, um, it's been right. different over time, but but you're you know, the league is um, again. I I don't. It goes back to this whole thing of, of labels, and we label people as, you know, there's some beliefs that I have that are one way and some that are the other way. And why do I got to be one or the other? And it's, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's anyway, it's, uh, yeah, but yeah, those flags me, me, as you head up the throughway, the, the thruway, New York State throughway, Route 17, that's for sure.
1: <laughs> let me ask you this uh, I don't know, Jamal wants to. How, how do you think the NFL uh, responded? to um the Black Lives Matter. So particularly post-George Floyd. We're coming up on the year anniversary of George Floyd. And um all the leagues, you know, were kind of uh I, I don't know if you say forced to take a stand, but obliged. But just may right, put on your executive cap. Because you've been, I mean you you've been in the NFL as a GM, you know, you, we ran through your bio. So you kind of know how These leagues, what what did you think of the way that the NFL responded to Black Lives Matter, George Floyd, and all that stuff? You
2: know, I'll I'll say this. I think initially, I didn't like it because um, not just the NFL, but all the leagues, because I think what happened initially and what happens during moments like that, not that there's ever, well, not that there was a specific moment like that, um, is that people sit back and wait to see which way the wind is blowing sometimes. Yeah, right. And how much the deck is going to be stacked on one direction. And then maybe we jump in when the deck is stacked. So we know it's, you know, and again, this is not me speaking. There's this perception that, well, this is a really touchy subject. We have to think about what we're going to do. You know, how is our fan base going to react? And I think, um, in a good amount of time, I think in the past, the NFL's quite honestly, I think the NFL has been terrible in responding to circumstances and situations. I think it's getting progressively better. I think that the George Floyd situation, uh, you know, situation, the George Floyd murder and the, the, the murders, the additional murders, um, that there was a better response time and a more authentic response um, because really there, there's, I'm not big on people when they react or respond based on how they're gonna be perceived and or received. So long-winded way, Bill saying, I think it was better than it has been in the past. I would have liked to have seen more immediacy. I I just hate that, again, to me, my problem with this is that we had to wait until these murders happened for black lives to matter right for for this to even become a, a statement or a thing why why weren't black lives mattering prior to these murders that became a big thing because we finally had visual evidence i mean to me right. you know my history you know you know what i stand for and i just so i, I just struggle when we um when we wait to see how it's going to impact our bottom let's just do the right thing man
1: right uh, hey, so I, I just I know Jamal's got a couple of things I just walk away just I'm jumping all over the place but how did you feel uh you know you, you were with the uh, the Patriots in fact I, I'm not sure when we first met maybe you just left the Patriots for the Colts I think maybe um, I'm
2: not I'm not sure no, I, I, when I left the, uh, to I left the Patriots and went to the Chiefs
1: okay maybe that's' yeah. like, when, Anyway, so how did you how did you uh, feel watching Tom Brady uh, lead uh, Tampa Bay to Super Bowl just just as a player, but also was there any sense of like vengeance there? I mean, you know, not not, not on your part obviously, but I how, just feel about that watching that. I w- I couldn't have been more happy.
2: Uh, I mean, because you know, here's the thing: is you know, for better or for worse, my life in the NFL. I understand a lot of these relationships. Are, are conditional, right? <laughs> right, right, And they, they're transactional. One of my, I think, shortcomings and difficulties that I've encountered is my personal relationships with uh, with players, but all, with everyone I worked with, whether it was players, whether it was people in any part of the organization. Tommy's a friend. I, I care about him. I care about his family. Uh, I'm not embarrassed to say that I love him. And to see him in this circumstance, to me, I was nothing but... Genuinely, you know, happy for it and joyful. I, I, I don't. This wasn't about, you know, to me. This wasn't about Brady versus Belichick or Brady versus the Chiefs. You know, things change, times change, teams change. We all change jobs. Again, I'm in it for people, not for. um, There's enough people out there that want to make stuff messy or um, combative or you know, some sort of nefarious uh, kind of storyline. I was just happy for Tommy. I really was.
0: Well, <clears throat> speaking, of, speaking of Brady, I wonder, you know, you, you being in NFL life or you, you uh, having a relationship with Brady, where, was, it, was it a surprise to you what he was able to pull off? Because to me, it was like a sh- – it was shocking. I mean, I could see him taking him to the playoffs, you know, improving the franchise. But to win a Super Bowl in you know storybook manner was, was that surprising to you?
2: Jamal, here's what I'll say is I um I would have never predicted that going into it because of the circumstances. He got to the team late. They had no real offseason. Yes, he was working out in parks and stuff with players and, and getting th- but he didn't know the team. The team didn't know him. There wasn't this ability for there to be, they brought in so many new players. They had a core so this th- there were new relationships being cultivated so to me the way with the quickness in which they ramped up and became a cohesive unit and team was surprising and but as you watched they got better and better each week and then they started to peak at the end of the season and then really peaked in the playoffs as those relationships got closer and better and they were used to one another was again on the, near the end, was I surprised? No, because I know how special he is and how, um, again, quite possibly the best leader that I've ever been around. And I don't mean just as a football leader, it's because of his um, emotional intelligence, his empathy for human beings, his authenticity, all the things that he is. I saw him um, help bring that team together. And then the leadership that they had you know, with Bruce Arians and Jason Light, they so to me, I I was if you asked me when it first started, would I have thought that to happen? No. As it as I watched it unfold, I was not surprised. I don't know if that makes sense. Mm-hmm.
0: That makes sense. I was I was in denial as I watched it happen. But
2: yeah, well, you know, Jamal, I know we're on a podcast here, but you know, the fact is we're on Zoom and I see in your background, I'm wondering if you lost a bet.
0: <laughs>
2: For those of you who can't see, Jamal's got a a background in the New York Jets stadium,
1: and and I'm thinking I was gonna I was gonna I wasn't gonna say anything about it, but man, maybe- but Jamal's hopeless. See, see, Scott, Jamal, Jamal's hopeless. Like right now, he's one of the happiest guys in the world because the Knicks are finally playing. He's one of those people, man. See, you and I, you and I, I stopped being a fan when I was like 16, you know. I, so after that, I just became a mercenary sports guy. You've been an executive. So the, you know what I'm saying? At a certain point, like you said, it's transactional. Fuck. You know, if it benefits me, that's what I'm for, you know? But Jamal, Jamal, man, is one of these people, man, the Knicks, and the, the, the Mets. I'm like, Jamal, how, how, Bill, how can Bill, you stand that's the,
0: it? That's the old me. You know, I've learned from you, Bill. I grew up. No, you haven't. I grew up, <laughs> no, I grew, no, I grew still, up a Jets still... fan. I grew up a Knicks fan. I grew up a Mets fan. Um. <laughs> Uh, two of those, the Jets and the Knicks, I'm, I don't even care about that much anymore. Jamal,
1: am uh
0: how telling the truth.
1: How happy are you, Jamal? How happy are you that the Knicks are in the playoffs? You're yeah. going to be there, right? You're going to be there? Yeah, Bill,
0: I'm, I'm <laughs> born and raised in Brooklyn, so if a team has Brooklyn <laughs> in the chest, I, I got to go there. Anyway, so the, <laughs> Knicks, are the Knicks or whatever. But, but right, this, the, right. the, the, pic, the picture is from the uh, press box where I have to be objective. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I'm not, not going to take the I don't care about the Jets. I'm happy for Tom Brady. So,
1: so, so, Scott, when when is the last time you were a fan? I mean, like in the in the in the in the traditional, you know, before you became a mercenary front office. (laughs)
2: Well, I get you know, there's always this little bit of fan that that's hidden in me, and and I and I got to speak truth. You know, I stopped becoming a, a football fan of teens when I got in the business, right? Um. But, uh, you know, you can't see it right now, but I'm going to slide it out. Well, you guys can see it. I'm a Met fan. That's a oh Met that I got back there. So I grew up a Mets fan. I grew up a uh, Rangers fan, Knicks fan, and a Giants fan. And, you know, you really have to shift those things in the business. But the good news is I only had to shift it for football because I'm still a fan of those other teams and the players. And, you know, it, it, it's funny, Bill, you know, all of us that are involved and engaged in these, in in whatever sport and you in sports writing, I'm assuming you got into it because you were a fan and you fell in love with the games and the people in the games and the stories and the stories of the teams. Uh, I, most of us, I mean, yeah, I worked as, you know, in in the front office for 27 years, but I'm, I'm still a fan of the game and the stories. And that's the, uh, you know, the sap in me, you know, I just kind of like, I, I, I'm a sucker like that. You know, I love – that's why, you, the, again, the, the, the listeners here can't see my background. I mean, you know, I – you see I'm representing Morgan yeah. State here uh-huh. right now. I it's see. Well, represent- let me let – me, Roosevelt Brown I got back there. Oh, the great Roosevelt Brown. Yeah. It, you know, right. and Billie Jean King. and I, yeah. So, I there's still some fan in me. And, and I think it's part of my heart that if, I think if I ever lose that – um In totality, uh, I'll be disappointed in in myself. Bill, it's different for you. You've had to go across all these sports, right? And I'm still still allowed to be ignorant and think that my heroes were good people through and through. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Well, I learned early on, never meet your heroes. I remember uh, never meet your heroes. I remember I grew up, man. I love the fact they've been trying to give me the right this piece about Willie Mays. I love Willie Mays. You know I, oh, that, that that Willie Mays team was Cepeda and oh, all those, I, I love, oh man, the basket catch. I almost knocked myself out going to the backyard and trying to like learn how to do the basket catch. You know, you throw the ball up, it will hit me in my head. Because you know, the idea was oh. Willie Mays, his whole thing was like, you gotta be cool, man. No matter what you do, you gotta be cool. You gotta make whatever you do. Look, like he was more on the lawn or walking. It's gotta be effort. And the basket catch, I throw it up, man. It would hit me I said, how does this cat, <laughs> how does this cat do this, man? But I met him finally at, at the times. You, know, yeah. you know, they had the old timers game. Yeah. So man, Willie Mays was there. So I went and I-, I I was at the time, so at that time I must have been like, you know, you know, old enough to know better, 30. So I so, said, man, he- so I went to Willie Mays, man. I do not know what the fuck to say. You know, I <laughs> And and, I, and then I would say, well, Roden, what would you expect him to do? Like, get the ball and show the basket? <laughs> I mean, what did you? And it wasn't until, and he and he looked at me, you know, he's like, you got a question him, you know? And so, but it wasn't until maybe about 10 years later, me, him, and Spike Lee found out, so was at some event, we we're sitting at the same table. And I found out that what we all shared in common was we love to curse. It was like, we're sitting down. And something happened, and it, it, I will it was amazing. And we bought, yeah, man, I, you know, I said, Oh, yeah. man, Willie Mays loved, he loves the curse.
2: She's <laughs> yeah. like, I don't want to learn that about Willie Mays. right now. You're telling the hey same
1: kid, I mean, <laughs> you ruined him, Bill. You ruined him. Well, <laughs> well, Scott, but listen, you know, what can I say? But <laughs> But to your point, but no, to me, it was not love again, it was not love, it was becoming. Uh, it was, I, w- I, I was a Dallas Cowboys fan, 16, because I loved the way, you know, they were new and all that. And they lost to Green Bay. They lost to Green Bay. First, they lost to them in the ice bowl, yes. which was awful. But then they lost to them. And it was t- I remember it was a- Don Meredith threw an interception. He was trying to hit uh, Gector. Mike Gector, is that the guy's name? Gector in the end zone. And it was intercepted by Herb out of something. And the, the way I felt, you know, as a fan, I said, you know what? I am never going to feel like this again. About I'm going to get into a profession where I don't have to care like that. Like, and so wow. being a sports writer, I, like, I don't have to care. I care, I care about whether uh, I write a story about you, Scott, the great Scott Pioli. I'm writing a column about Scott Pioli and the Patriots are about to. And I wrote about how you put this team together and all that. But that day, I want New England to win. So my story on Scott Pioli comes out right. The next day, <laughs> fuck it. I'm on to the next, I'm on to the next executive, you know, you know, but I don't know. I think it's this is a psychological thing about not wanting to care. And I find myself during the pandemic, oddly enough, getting back to caring again because we were all desperate. So,
2: yeah, I tell you what, a, a psychologist can have a field day with that. I mean, they go into the whole thing. <laughs> first girl that broke your heart, and, oh, you know, and I'm never gonna love again. She broke my all heart. That,
1: <laughs> all that, all that, all I, that. I gotta tell you, I mean, this Well, this is another podcast, but even today, I mean, I listen to love stories and all that. And i say, man, how do I respect people who have been deeply in love and then they get hurt and then love again? I'm like, man, how? <laughs> jeez <laughs> anyway <laughs> anyway that's another that's another podcast how did you get to be <laughs> how'd you get to be a morehouse college fellow we, let's let's just abruptly switch gear yeah how did so, you get to be a morehouse college fellow so
2: years ago um we we were having these meetings at the nfl and um troy vincent and had invited me to a meeting that they were having down in uh, in Atlanta, I, I was in Atlanta at the time, and I had just started, and we were having these these meetings about a, a lot of things, and they were these secret meetings at Morehouse. And while I was there, one of the first people I met was a gentleman by the name of Dr. David Wall Rice, in the psychology department. And David is I, I don't know how to describe David other than he's one of the smartest, toughest, kindest caring um, people that I've encountered in life. And he spoke up at this, at, at this meeting. And it was one of those meetings where it was uh, a mixed group. There weren't too many people that looked like me, but there, there were enough where people were being overly careful about their words, as we know happened to me, because um, people are afraid to speak the truth sometimes in those meetings. And David was the first one, first person that stood up and tore that meeting up. Mm. And he actually walked out for a little bit. And I was like, and he was actually, we were sitting right next to each other. And I was like, man, I like this guy. Mm. I can tell we're going to be friends. Anyway, um, we visited several times during the course of that day. We exchanged contact information. We stayed in touch during my time here at, um, you know, in Atlanta, which uh, I still live here now, we're getting ready to move, but, um, I got to know David and David has, you know, he, he's in the psychology department and he has this, um, identity art and democracy lab at Morehouse college. And it's part of his psychology department, but it also goes outside of the psychology department. And it's, it, it, it's, it's done with students. And he asked me to be a fellow within and to be essentially, and I'll call it what it is to be the one guy that looks like me in the room that can speak truth because he knows where my heart lies. And he knows that I have no problem speaking truth that I know. And, and, and I know of my own implicit bias and of my own failings at different times in my life. So it's, it's this place and space where, you know, he bounces things off of me. He also, he has introduced me to a number of students that I've been mentoring very quietly on the side. And, you know, I've gotten in, involved with Ron over in the uh, journalism department. Yeah, and,
1: and, yeah, and
2: y- yeah he, he's- Ron
1: Thomas, director. great Ron Yeah, yeah I'm
2: sorry, yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I mean, Ron, right? I'm just thinking of friends. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so, it, that's how it, ha- I, again, it just happened serendipitously at a meeting, but, you know, David's become um, a dear, dear, close friend of mine as well. And um, his son actually goes, is, is a little bit younger than my daughter who just graduated, but they were going to the same school. And um, so th- that's kind of the background on that. It's, it's, it's a place where it's funny. He keeps thanking me for the work that I'm doing. I keep thanking him for continuing to educate me.
1: Yeah. Mm. Ended- <laughs> yeah. Yeah, let me ask, and just sort of follow up. You wrote a great piece um, uh, that I saw. You sent it to me. I, I saw it via LinkedIn, but it was about HBCUs. Yeah. Uh, and I was wondering what this year no um, no HBCU players were drafted, and I was wondering what you made of that. Uh, and then, of course, I think what happened right after that, everybody snapped up as a free agent. <laughs> but yeah. what what do what do you what do you, uh, what do you make of that? Um, you know, uh, there there were glory days, of course. But what do you make of that?
2: Yeah, there, there's a lot of assumptions to make, and some of these assumptions, as we know, assumptions can be right, and, and they can also be wrong. I think, um, again, as an executive, a former executive, as a scout, uh, former scout, and a scout who actually, you know, one of my first jobs and duties was was scouting HBCUs. Um, you know, back when I was at the Cleveland Browns, they gave me a number of small schools and... and Two big, three big schools, and then small schools, and I got down at, you know to hit Orangeburg, Virginia Union, Virginia State, yeah. myself down Elizabeth City State, South Carolina State, and um, so I have an understanding of the, of the background and how it's scouted, also, and and I think it's some of it's really simple, Bill, and some of it's complicated. I think that the HBCUs are underscouted. I think that teams acknowledge and understand that there's good players there. So they'll send um, scouts to those schools. I think some of the people that are the leaders and have been leaders in the past, um, most of them, you know, look like me and they, um, they, as silly as it sounds, they don't know the schools enough as well. So, so there's this silly made up kind of listen okay we are gonna have to have someone go down to South Carolina State who should it be should we send the Black Scout should we send a White Scout should we go to all the CIAAs or the MEACs or the SWACs well you know it's like I'm 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 thinking like an old man here because in in the sense that well we you know we don't send everyone to all the Yankee conference schools the Yankee conference doesn't even exist anymore but you know what I mean that, right, that, right, I don't right, know right, what the name right. of that new FCS conference is yet. So I think it's underscouted for a multitude of reasons, Bill. And and they this year I think was was unique because there's they didn't get out to see players at a lot of the small schools, yet other small school players were drafted. It's shocking that no one from the HBCUs was drafted this year because I, I'll, I'll say this. I'm I'm working – I'm doing some consulting work for the league office, and one of the things that they have me doing is working with this group of former scouts and GMs, um, a very small group of us, who are you know, putting together the HBCU combine, which has gotten canceled yeah. the last two years for – because of the pandemic. but I've been watching HBCU film and I see players. I've seen players. I know there's players there. I just think it was one of those things where you know a lot of a, a lot of people failed in that in that space this year. I will say this though because I know a lot of the decision makers, not all decision makers are one way. I think it was some of it was unintentional. Some of it is just intentional ignorance in the truest sense of the word. Um, I, I think that there's 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 again as we talk since George Floyd there there's a light being shined on things now, and I think people I believe people are going to think and act differently moving forward when it comes to the
0: HBCUs. So you mentioned other small schools uh, and other small conferences. Do, is is there a difference to you even just amongst the small, the other small conferences and the HBCUs, there is, you think there is a difference between the way they are scouted and do you think, you know, is there any difference in the talent level? Like are are there more or less uh, prospects in HBCUs Mm -hmm. compared to other small conferences?
2: I think it's, it's, I think it's comparable, right? I mean, we all know, you know, North Dakota state, which is the same level as grambling, right? Right now, for whatever reason, North Dakota state has gotten a lot of attention because of their players and their quarterbacks. They're all, again, I call them one double A's, but they're FCS's, um, you know, but the HBCUs encompass not only FCS schools, but division two schools. And the, you know, I, I think that it's not from a conference standpoint as much or, or, Again, I say conference, but it's it's not Division Two, Division One, Double A are all the same. I think it's the best teams draw the greatest amount of attention, and I think that's what hits. Again, having been a former personnel director and, and scout, I think that's where um, where I, I think that is how people view it through that prism, Jamal. And um, you know, I, I look at the. The the Swac in and, and the Miac and I see those as strong as in terms of talent as you know the Southern Conference which has the Citadel and you know and or other strong one aas you know the Ohio Valley Conference which actually has um, you know I think they have one HBC the Tennessee State right. still in the OBC. Tennessee State, right exactly yeah. Um, so, so to me, I think that they look at the teams that are that are competing strongly. And with smaller schools, I think the attention is paid to, from a scouting standpoint, by the strong programs and the strong teams and or players that have significant um, – that have stars in there. Like, And, again, I have a very specific way of how I always scouted HBCUs um, because one of the difficulties with with scouting the HBCUs is part of the whole – societal issue that hbcus were overlooked by the primary white media or or the 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 dominantly white media so you know we weren't hearing yeah we hear about grambling because of their incredible tradition but we sure weren't hearing about alabama state right you know like we were hearing about villanova who was a one double a same level right so so to me um there is an equity in in this space. Um, yeah, I, I, I think I rambled on on your question. My apologies, Jamal, but I know I answered it, but I also answered other questions you weren't asking. Sorry.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, this and, and there's a couple of things I know. That, you know, um, I, I want to ask for you one go. One is practical. Uh, what was your what's been your journey uh, into the business? What was your first job? Because a lot of stuff we talked on this show a lot about hiring and we need more blacks in front of us all that. And to me, particularly when you look at sports, there's no there's no real roadmap. In other words, everybody's got a right. different it's related. So what was your first uh, what was your first job in the NFL? And how, how did you get there?
2: Yeah, this is a great question because I tell you, I Bill, I want to spend a lot of time on this, please. Um, mm-hmm. not not my journey, but on the journey. Yeah. So, yeah. so my journey, um, you know, when I got done playing college ball, I was, well, while I was in college undergrad, um, a mutual friend, uh, one of my best friends, his girlfriend introduced me to Bill Belichick. This is when I okay. was.
1: And where'd you play Scott? Uh,
2: Central Connecticut. Central That's Connecticut right. State That's University. Right. So right. um, not, a, not a big school, right? We were division two and eventually moved, moved up to one double A back when it was still one double A or called that. So, but I was I was one of these beyond – I know we talked about the fan thing before, but I knew how I wanted – thought I knew how I wanted to spend my life. I wanted to play as long as I was capable of playing. Maybe I'd have a shot at the pros. Maybe I wouldn't. But when I got done, I wanted to coach. I wanted to coach football and give back to the game what I got out of it, which was an education and the best times and friends in my life. And so I used to uh, – when I was in Washingtonville, New York – um, it was a summer where I was actually home for a large part of the summer. The Giants had started training camp, so I used to drive down. You know, I was one of these kind of football nerds uh, where I, I, I was an overachiever, so I had to study the game, and I was intrigued by the game in order to be good and or get better. So I would drive down to the New York Giants training camp, and go down with a notebook and take notes on drills and players and watch them and watch what was going on. It just so happened one of my best friends, uh, Matt Spencer, was dating a girl who became his wife, Cindy, um, was working at the Giants training camp as a security guard. Right. Um, one of those 400 people, you know, they hire that they put right. And <laughs> right, right, right. I was down there and was talking to her after one of the practices and she introduced me to Belichick. As he was coming off the field, and we just started talking, and you know, so I had this notebook, and and he's like, "What are you doing?" I said, oh, "I'm taking notes," and he's kind of like, yeah. "Anyway." So we met there, and he said, "So you're driving from Washington, New York, you know, down and back when you have days off to?" He said, "You know, if you ever want to stay down here, um, Al Groh and I share this, this this suite. You can stay out on the couch in this suite." Okay. And I'm like, are you serious he says yeah I'll, I'll, I'll talk to parcells and see if i can get get you know you can sit in my meetings and stuff and this is how it happened well wow. let's not make a mistake guys All right, being the, the, what this podcast is about you two can see me right now what i look like right easy to make a connection right so right. that's how if, I'm you're, if, it, if
1: you're white let's just let's just, just, just put yeah, it I'm, I'm yeah i'm a
2: white guy i'm a white guy at the time i was a white kid yeah i'm sorry I forgot I'm seeing you guys here so I forget we're on a we're on a podcast. So so um Bill and I cultivated this relationship. I was still in college. I still had two or three more years left of college and we kind of stayed in touch and uh, you know we 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 talked every once in a while. We sent letters back when people actually sent letters before the uh, emails and we stayed in touch and then when I went to Syracuse as a graduate assistant, well actually Bill when I got done in Central Connecticut he was trying to help me get a job at Wesley and where he had gone right and because I, I you know I was struggling to find a job and he was going to get me a job at Wesley and then this opportunity at Syracuse University came up as a graduate assistant coach where I could go to the newhouse school and also you know two more years of scholarship and then also um, you know coach ball so I went to Syracuse but while I was at Syracuse Belichick and I stayed in contact. It was ba- that was back when coaches did a lot more scouting. So I would talk to Bill about not only the guys at Syracuse, but the guys, you know, at Rutgers, Penn State, Pitt. And anyway, it that's how it happened. then I left Syracuse and went on to Murray State University, uh, down in Murray, Kentucky, speaking of OVC. Um, <laughs> and uh, when Bill got hired at the Cleveland Browns, he called me and asked me if I wanted to come to work. So wow. a very long winded yeah. story but I think it's important now, I to give the the path of that story um, because it's important. Now I left a full-time job in Murray, Kentucky that was paying me real money full-time to go up and you know I'll never forget when Belichick offered me a job said listen I'm offering you a job I don't know the title I don't know the duties you know you're going to work and everything, you're going to do whatever whatever we need you to do you can do and just remember the more you can do the more you can do.
1: Right. Yeah. right exactly says, do you exactly. want
2: the job or not and i'm like right. heck yeah and then the next right. day like, well by the way i found out how much i could pay you um i still don't know the job dude it doesn't really have a title but i can pay you 16 grand do you still want it i'm like heck yeah now this is 1992 <laughs> we're not talking about 1965 right this is 90 19- yeah. so um but it was an opportunity in the nfl and it was it was terrific but you know i think that it 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 was a blessing in my life, but I think, Bill, if we were to sit here, and, and Jamal, if we were to sit here and talk about this in depth, again, the audience can't see me, but as a young white guy, it was a lot easier.
1: But do you think of- but do you think that, you know, okay, fast forward, now the league, you know, like 70-something percent of players, but do you think that still is unlikely to happen that the white guy, because of power structure, you know, do you think that it's more likely for a black guy to have that same type of opportunity, you know, chance meetings, or do you still think that it's, it's hard for? for oh. Bill, we've made
2: progress, right? Yeah, I mean, you're asking me, do I think is a better chance of it happening now than than it did in 1985? Yeah, it's a better chance, but that still doesn't mean it that it's any good, right? Because sometimes we talk about progress and, and, and I appreciate progress, but progress isn't enough. It's right. just not enough because, you know, people, that's when people start breaking down statistics and analytics into making something look better than it is. Well, look at how much progress, it's an X percent, uh, an X percent increase. Well, you know, <laughs> that, 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 that's not where the truth lies. So is it easier? Is it better? Is it, is it different than it was? Yeah, it is. But that doesn't mean it's good enough. Which is why I intentionally, when I got into the, the, the at the moment that I got into a position where I could start hiring people, I intentionally made sure that you, you know one of my my first hires in 1997 when I became a pro director at the at the Jets. Yes, Jamal, you can smile. The Jets. <laughs> the uh, was was JoJo Wooden. Right. And, and Jojo wouldn't. I don't know if you all know Jojo, I think is I think his title is vice president of player personnel with the Los Angeles Chargers right now. Um, oh, wow. okay. and, and Jojo played at Syracuse. And Jojo. so I met Jojo when he was on scout team, you know, he was on my, my Joel Colley and I coach the scout team and we coached Jojo. And Jojo was at that point in time, had graduated college, you know, kicked around a little bit, in the NFL, a couple of training camps, but was coaching ball. He was Coach Ball up at American International College, AIC up in Springfield, Mass, a Division II school, but JoJo and I stayed in touch. So I made a point that I was going to hire someone and try to bring someone in that didn't look like me. And and that's the thing is um, my path was easier because of how I look. I think, again, I, I know this wasn't part of the question, but I think it's an important answer is that we have to specifically people who look like me, need to be intentional in doing the right thing for the right reasons unconditionally to hire people that don't look like us huh. to make it a better and more fair place.
1: Hmm. You think, you know, uh, and I don't want to belabor it, you, you see now that there, there's a the woman in D.C., there's, there's a running back coach and all that. When you, when you hear that, what what, what your thoughts? I mean, it makes me happy because I, I
2: actually knew Jennifer well before she was hired, before she got into the NFL. Um, she was actually one of the first recipients of a grant that that, that my family and I had. Uh, I'm happy. I'm happy because Jennifer loves football. She's committed to football. She's played football. Why shouldn't Jennifer be able to, to coach ball or scout and ball or do what she wants to do? You know why? You know, it's funny when you grow up in this game, you're always taught. Um, I remember from peewee coaches to high school, we're all in this together. Come on. We're, right. why, so why are we all in it together when we're trying to win games? But then it gets to this point all of a sudden, okay, we're all in it together except for you over there. Right. right. So to me, football is what it is or it isn't. So which one is it? As my dad used to say, you know, you you'll appreciate this. Um, <laughs> my my dad's from the Bronx, so and he was silver tongue devil that he is. You know, don't he used to say, don't piss on my shoes and tell me it's raining outside.
1: Yeah, right, right.
2: right? I know. <laughs> it's it, it, so just. What is it? That's as sure. close to cursing you, as you'll get me, guys. By the way.
1: Yeah, that, that's great. Uh, yeah, I, I got to apologize because I do curse like like Willie May. So <laughs> nobody offend you.
2: Well, now
1: that I know I it really like, does, I, I have less of a problem with it. Yeah, no, but I, but I, I do. I, I've got to become more attuned to that. All uh, hey, right, uh before we let you go, man, again, thank you so much, man. This has yeah, been, really you. been um, great uh, and, and, and insightful. Um, just what, what do you think, uh, and, and you've seen, um, the, what, what do you think of the way the, the NFL handled the pandemic uh, this year? Do um, you think that the, A, how do you think they handled it? You think what do you think about the quality of the play? Um, uh, I'm I'm I marvel at it. But what, what did you what did you say?
2: Blown away, Bill Jamal, yeah. uh, guys. I've blown away because I was one of those people privately thinking um, because no one asked me publicly. But I was there is no way this season is going to make it through a quarter of the season at first. And then I'm like, oh, wow, it's never going to make it to a half. It's never going to make it to three quarters. We're never going to finish this season. There's no way we're having – in my mind, that's what I'm thinking. But I'm telling you – and the thing is, I know some of the players involved that were behind the scenes. You know, Dr. Seals gets a lot of attention. But there was a small group of people, including, you know, Donna Ponte, um, who's one of the highest-ranking female officials, uh, or executives, I should say, um, who were really put in charge of things. And the work that they did, not only from a knowledge, from a logistics standpoint, the way the teams handled it, the way, you know, it was the league office, it was the individual teams, it was the individual logistics people, all of the people really, quite honestly, that are nameless and faceless, that did this work and got this? You use the word Marvel. I marvel at it as well. What they what the league did to get this done and have a complete season, the quality of play, was it perfect? No. Was it the best? No, but it wasn't bad, I'll tell you what. You know what I mean? Because what we know is you know the absence of fans did change the energy a little bit. But, uh, you know, I don't think it could have
1: been better than what they delivered. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Jamal, you want to you want to wrap? I know you you've been kind of waiting in the wings there. No, no, I I know we've uh, taken
0: a lot of your time already, Scott. So uh, you know I appreciate you giving us an hour. I guess. I guess just the last question, like piggybacking off what what you said in terms of how you got into the business, um, and and the opportunities you you were giving others. When you look at the NFL as a whole, other people in your position. Are you optimistic that, that things will get better in the short term? Are there, or in other words, are there more people, are there other people like you in the business?
2: Oh, yeah, I'm not a unicorn. I'll say that, Jamal. And it is getting better. I think people now are less self, and I'll say this, I think there's a lot of people look like me that in the past were a little bit self-conscious and concerned about doing the right thing for whatever reasons. And I think it is getting better in the short term. I think it's going to be even better in the long term, as long as we keep it authentic and keep it for the right reasons. We can't go about this saying that this is a good business model. We can't go about this. You know, we need to do it for the right reasons. I think it's going to get better. I think it is better. And again, there's there, there's a lot of people that look like me, Jamal, that are that are willing to do the right thing. And uh, I think we're finding them more and more. Um, just like we saw some of the crazy people come out on the other side that was despicable. I think there's people coming out on the right side now as well um, for this.
1: Right. Hey, before I go,
2: I, you know, I was promised I'd get one question. Oh, yeah, yeah. Now, Bill, this is gonna be a heavy question here, and I mean this sincerely. Um, so the the audience can't see, but Jamal said he's gonna at some time put little screenshots of, of, of what, um, of us. Right, and right, right. In my background here, I have a Sports Illustrated cover um, with Roosevelt Brown on it from 1960. Right, where is that? Um, which one, which one is that? Right, right here. Okay, right here, and it's from October 24th, 1960. And okay. Roosevelt Brown, I do a great Morgan State alum like yourself. Um, however, I love this photo again. I grew up a Giant fan. Love Roosevelt Brown is one of my dad's favorite players. Um, but on the cover, the, uh, the title on the cover says, The Violent Face of Pro Football. Wow. Do you remember that, ever seeing that cover back in the day? Um, it's, a, it's a pretty popular cover. And as much as I love it for it representing Roosevelt and HBCUs, even though this is him as a New York Giant, I've always wondered the title and the fact that they had a black man mm. who rarely did they put black people on the cover. And the subject is the violent face of pro football. Wow. There's a scowling Roosevelt Brown. And wow. many, so I'm throwing this to you. Did, if you saw that, how, or and if you remember that at all, how, how did you receive that mentally and emotionally? Yeah, I don't, I, I didn't see it at the time. Cause I think what, what year you said that was October uh,
1: 1960. Come on, you were out of college by then, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was at the New York Times. I was a 20-year veteran. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I was like 10 years old or something. Yeah. Um, but I guess in, it was easy in retrospect to say anything, you know, based yeah. on what I know now. There, I think if I was if I saw it at age 10, I probably would have just gobbled it up. Yeah. Uh, and again, a lot of, you know, as African-Americans, we you're brainwashed. And so, you see that, and you say, yeah, then it's subliminal. You know, it's subliminal. Probably like a lot of white kids, you know, that's why we're all kind of effed up now. Because we take all these subtle messages in, and you're right, and I remember Roosevelt Brown came to Morgan, spoke to uh, our athletic bank, I think I was a junior, and he came, and he spoke. And I remember sitting there and thinking, man, this guy, you know, he didn't seem vile. I mean, you know, he just, you know, but to your point, it's very perceptive of you. I think you're right. I think that that's a little subtlety that you, that, that you're going to talk about violence. You showed this black I man. Now you show other right? There are other people sitting there. He has teammates, right? Yeah. But you don't see them. You see. Oh, he's in focus. He is in the forefront. He's in focus. He's scowling. Yeah. Yeah. Now, remember, there was also another remember the famous um cover of Sam Huff, the violent world of Sam Huff. Yes. Uh, yeah. I think that there was some of him, you know, so but I think, though, even with that, I, although it was the violent world of Sam Huff, it was about at some level, it was still kind of laudatory.
2: Yes, you know, and, and they were trying to, try no try to humanize him. I remember yeah, that.
1: Right. Well, here it was it wasn't. It was like the violent game. And there's Brian. There's Roosevelt oh, Brown. Yeah, well, here, yeah, black guy. He could have been Sonny Liston. Well, right. they had, you know. <laughs> Right, And it's
2: 1960, you know, and it's 1960 and there was was intentional messaging going on. I don't know. I I don't mean to to digress a bit, but it was it was, you know, when you and I had the exchange about that article that I wrote, um, which I hope people go back and read all those articles because I I wrote weekly articles on all the different HBCUs based on HBCU uh, football. I like
1: to do that. Tell us tell us where where people could find those. Those pieces, because I I like to uh, I like for people to go back and, and and look those up.
2: Yeah, I I, I keep I'm rubbing sure my I'm eyes. Sure. Man, allergies up
1: here. I like terrible. and that's why I keep rubbing my eyes. The <laughs> allergies are just like off But but yeah. where can people find those those pieces, Scott?
2: Yeah, I guess the best way to do it is um, to go to NFL.com backwards slash or I don't know if it's a backwards because uh, I'm just googling it right now. Pioli. And, and it just shows all the articles that I wrote during the season. Um, You know, there's an article in there, my my scouting trip down to South Carolina state and how I stumbled on Orlando Brown. It's, you know, Mississippi Valley state article. It's a rambling article um, about how the Steelers scouted and, you know, in the seventies and you know, bill Nunn. So, there, there, there's some fun stuff in there to read. Again, I'm a sucker for history and the history of the game, but the truthful
1: history of the game. So uh, I hope folks go there and try to find those articles. That's great. It's funny. Uh, Bill Nunn's daughter, Linnell, was a, a classmate of mine in Morgan. Really? Yeah, yeah. Linnell, she was a Delta. She was, we, were, we both came in. Uh, uh, well, she. I was a year ahead of her, but we all do. In fact, I just talked to her a couple months ago because somebody wants to do a project. But it was so great! It's so great that you wrote about him, and he's going into the Hall of Fame. It's just, that's, that's it's just such great acknowledgement on your part uh, to to acknowledge that history.
2: Well, what we need to do is, if we're going to talk about history, we need to acknowledge the truth of history.
1: And yeah, those- yeah, the, yeah, the true history. That that'll be yet another podcast. Because uh, do it. <laughs> but listen, I, I guess has been the great, the great Scott Pioli. He's a uh, NFL Network and CBS uh, uh, analyst, uh, uh, but just a remarkable career uh, in the front office. And um, uh, his history is tremendous. Uh, Scott, man, thanks so much. This has been tremendous. Always wonderful seeing you in person. You. Uh, you know, So thank you so much, man. This, this has been wonderful. This has thank been you. an honor. Thank you, Bill. Thank you, Jamal. I appreciate you guys reaching out to me. And I mean it sincerely. Anytime, as long as your listeners can put up with me. <laughs> yeah, they will. Hey, man, Scott, thank you so much, man. And be safe. Be safe. Yes, Don't believe absolutely. the hype. <laughs> <laughs> Take care, guys. Thank you. Bye-bye. Take care. Hey, so, Jamal, listen, man, this is this great. Thanks for reaching out to Scott. That was really educational, insightful, um, and we need to have Scott on more. And to all of our listeners, what do you tell everybody, Jamal, about listening, what to do?
0: Well, uh, follow us on social media, uh, on Twitter, at brospod, B-R-O-S-P-O-D. Uh, also on Instagram, at brospod. Uh, you know, you can listen to the podcast. Obviously, you're listening now, but um, uh, keep, keep supporting, keep following us. Um, and we will, of course, be back next week, week with some more great content.
1: All right. And everybody, keep the faith. I know that they said the pandemic is over. Don't believe it. Continue to stay, continue to stay safe. And uh, God bless. See you next week.